to this episode of the Maidan podcast. Today I'm joined by Professor Martin Wynn, who is a professor of religious studies and chair of the department at Fairfield University, where he teaches classes on Islam and Islamic theology. Uh, this discussion today was inspired by his second book, uh, published in August of 2018 by Roman and Littlefield, um, Modern Muslim Theology, Engaging God and the World with Faith and Imagination. And I have told him before that it is probably um, the most important thing that I read during my graduate work, perhaps. Um, I'm really honored to be joined by Martin today. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you. And you're much too kind, but I'm happy to talk about my work, uh, whoever you see fit. Thank you. Um, so in, in the book, uh, you argue that theology is a fundamentally human endeavor of response to the divine and a means of improving our condition, both in the world and before God. And I really admire the efforts to reincorporate theology into critical academic work and also to bring a very humanist um, lens to something that is, you know, very personal and very uh, relevant to your own uh, faith as a Muslim. Uh, what inspired and prepared you to write this book? Ah. That's a good question. Um, in many ways, I feel like the writing of this book was a multi-year process. It took quite a great deal of time for me to get to the point to begin writing the work, and then the composition of the work itself uh, took time itself. Um, in many ways, I had a number of different influences, a different um, experiences that kind of compelled me to take up the writing of the work. Part of it was just my academic study of Islam. I was enrolled in a master's program and then a PhD where I was doing what one does, uh, you know, gaining um, expertise and, and or at least a facility in particular skill sets, right? Learning classical Arabic, getting familiar with various genres of literature, uh, learning how to read critically, um, being exposed to important methodologies. But during that whole process, you know, I had spent two years at Harvard Divinity School, and it was really within that span where I was exposed to Christian theology alongside um, Islamic studies. Um, it was really this dual experience, I think, that kind of began to shape my thinking on things. Because as I was pursuing my master's in theological studies, um, I began to read fairly deeply, uh, and for the first time, really, Christian theologians. And I was impressed by the ways in which they were 
articulating for their contemporary audiences the relevance, the meaning, the depth of their particular tradition. They were not necessarily simply repeating, right, um, the thoughts and perspectives of, of generations past, but trying to reframe things, trying to uh, recast things um, for their living congregations, their audiences. And I felt that was inspirational, that this was something that I was looking to find within my own tradition. And, and of course, they were there as well, right? I can imagine, I'm thinking now of, of, of concrete works of particular writers that I was turning to um, from the Islamic fold. You know, there were obviously uh, writers like Al-Ghazali and the Ihya Ulum al-Din. Um, and now I had, was reading Muhammad Iqbal as well uh, and reading Malcolm X. I mean, these are all figures that work their way into the book eventually. They have their own place carved out within it. Uh, but these were figures that I thought were um, in their way doing that similar type of labor. Um, but right while I was reading those Muslim sources, I kept thinking, you know, there were particular approaches, particular ways of doing theology within the Christian tradition that I thought were um, that were worthwhile of trying to understand and appreciate. And then, of course, with time, right, as, as my career unfolded, I was doing um, various types of workshops where I was in dialogue with Christian theologians, scholars of Christianity. Um, and once I was able to really kind of appreciate and understand how they were going about their work in a much more immediate and lived manner, it inspired me to try to undertake this task myself. Um, and I think as I was approaching that um, that important kind of landmark within in the academic career, right? Of I could see tenure in sight. I felt, well, at this point, my career seems to be on a fairly solid trajectory. I can take a risk. I can actually begin to do theology, begin to write it. Um, and, you know, that was in some ways the genesis moment of uh, modern Muslim theology. Great. That's, um, that's wonderful. I, I uh, want to pick up on, Actually, one of the last things you said, which is that it's a risk um, to to pursue this. Um, first of all, uh, in in the book, you write a lot about taking a a constructive role, and also, you know, being aware of our own circumstances, our own language uh, when dealing with theology and ultimately, you know, creating our own theology in a sense. Um, and, and this is particularly challenging because of, of course, in, in the academy, um, it really, we champion secularism. And um, so it's challenging to approach some of these uh, issues. Um, but given that you were at a, a place like Harvard that has so much connection to Christian theology originally and, and the role of theologians in, in pursuing scholarly work on, on religion and also in general, um, sorry, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess why are the uh, restoration of some of the critical approaches that you um, argue for in the book 
so important for for the future of the Islamic uh, tradition in particular and and for our you know, humanist uh, encounters with religion and engagement with religion that you talked about as being so important for you. Yeah, there's um, some several good th- threads there I would like to kind of follow up on, right? It's uh, There's a certain challenge involved, right? I think the, the element of risk is there in the sense that you know, I'm operating within the Western Academy, however we conceive the West to be. Um, but it does have certain features that make it a bit more uh, of an uphill battle to do this type of work, which is a bit of an irony. Because I do remember during my first few weeks um, at Harvard Divinity School, one of the things that was constantly brought to our attention is that you know, there's this almost physical metaphor that Harvard Divinity School, for those who are aware of the layout of Harvard campus, is literally on the periphery of campus, right? It's, it, is, it is at the edge of, of um, the university itself. Um, yet it's ironic since uh, when Harvard began, it began as a seminary, right? It began as a authority theological endeavor. It was a place for the training of ministers. Um, and over time, as higher education in the United States took on the shape that it did, um, Harvard Divinity School became further marginalized. And so when I was there, that marginality was very apparent. Of course, as a Muslim, that uh, marginalization becomes much more accentuated. Um, I mean, I think it's fairly obvious, right, that uh, within the academy, there are spaces for Christian theology. Um, but if you fall outside of that particular tradition, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Jewish or Muslim, um, the places to do constructive work are fairly limited, that the academy itself is in many ways inclined against that particular type of, of work, right? In, in terms of infrastructure, um, there are not the institutions, there are not the uh, publishing houses, the journals, um, even right a senior class of, of scholars there to kind of support this particular form of work. Um, though I believe it's, it's, it's been developing slowly over time. We're kind of reaching a point where I hope, right, my book is in some ways a case for how one can do it, at least on a conceptual level. But um, I think there's something important that can be done within the academy, that if we can carve out a space for a theological reflection, um, it can be of great benefit. Um, I don't think it is necessarily a core essential aspect of how Muslims necessarily have to deal with theology, because the theological discourse has always been a part of Muslim life. Uh, but for those of us living in the West, right, these fields of higher education, right, the academy, um, is a place where we find our formation, our education. And the fact that Muslim theological reflection doesn't have a place there um, is a hindrance. And if there's anything that can be kind of gained from operating in the academy is that uh, despite the heavy secularity that does seem to kind of overshadow how many disciplines are pursued, um, I think that's being challenged. I think there is a criticalness that is also part and parcel of the academy. And in some ways, I would say there's a, a need for a critical faithful reflection when it comes to theology in the West, at least for those of us operating in North America. Um, and so, I mean, part of it is perhaps born out of my own experience, right? That my own religious journey was deeply tied to um, critical inquiry within the realms or halls of, of the academy. Um, and it is not necessarily, you know, we don't necessarily live in sort of this Manichaean polarity where, you know, it is the academy versus faith. Um, I think there is the possibility for a type of um, critical theological reflection where theological suppositions, um, belief, 
that is anchored within Revelation can have a place as long as we admit that these are our starting points, that these are this is the particular framework we come from. Uh, if anything, um, a, a prominent and important thread trajectory that we're finding within the academy in general is an admission, right, that you know objectivity as it was once conceived is deeply problematic. Uh, you see this in in the various uh, critical discussions happening in fields like anthropology and sociology, the study of religion. Um, and so it is really upon that path that I think uh, Muslim constructive theology can can find a place. Thank you. Um, can you talk a little bit about your specific efforts, um, maybe in preparation for publication of the book or after it's come out to engage um, with things like the American Academy of Religion and the Society for the Study of Muslim Ethics and how those have been uh, pursued and received? Yeah, I think one of the um, challenges for me was finding spaces within the Academy to share my work because it doesn't quite fit. You know, the first hurdle was always trying to get a paper accepted so I could have a forum um, to workshop, right, the, the various elements that were being written for modern Muslim theology. Um, and so the Society for the Study of Muslim Ethics has been perhaps one of my most important places to actually share that work. Um, the American Academy of Religion, which I was also greatly involved in, um, up until recently has, has been in a much more difficult place for that to happen. Um, I've recently, uh, um, in collaboration with others, Najiba Sayed, one of them, uh, we've put together a five-year seminar that will launch in 2021, where we'll actually be able to look into constructive theology at the AAR. But prior to, to that effort to get that off the ground, um, it was smaller gatherings, right? Um, uh, this ethics conference, one of them. But I think, you know, realizing that there weren't formal spaces in which for uh, work like mine um, was, you know, since these places didn't quite exist, I've had to find interlocutors on a much more personal level. I've had to kind of reach out and, and just kind of sit in dialogue um, with others to see, well, what does this work look like to you? Uh, is this something worthwhile or important? I mean, as I'm writing it, I have a certain, you know, I had a certain conviction that this was something I should be spending my time on. But of course, there's always that doubt. I think this is something that is hard to escape as an academic, right? The imposter syndrome that kind of pervades our lives um, was certainly something that haunted me as I wrote the work. And of course, it's not something I'm free of. Uh, but, you know, I, I do feel committed that, you know, in order to make this happen, we need to make the space. We need to create spaces where people can gather at you know, workshops and conferences. We also need to create venues, uh, publishing arms, uh, journals that, can, that are willing to take a risk and, and feature um, explorations of this nature. And so you know, while the work itself is a particular um, conceptual exploration of theology as a discourse, um, the book itself, its journey to publication, uh, for me, was a lesson that you know here are the blind spots or here are the particular obstacles that that those interested in constructive theology in the academy need to address, overcome, or at least adapt to. Thank you. Can you um, also add to that? Um, I, I don't know how much critical response uh, or engagement there's been with. Um, with your thought from the Muslim community and from uh, people who are more um, clerically oriented, I guess. 
but um, how has how has that uh, reception been? And I, I guess the, you know you've said the book is very much the starting point of an important conversation. Are, are there people on on both sides of the um, academic and uh, and well, and within the Muslim community that I know you're very much engaged with, um, are there people on, on both sides of that? And maybe it's not so much a divide as you've you've explained here, but um, who have engaged with the book and have uh, affected your thought in any way? Yeah, this is um this is a good point because in some ways, as as difficult as it has been to make space within the academy. At least being within the academy, I'm familiar with, with where you know uh, where conversation can take place, right? That there are places where reviews of this book um, can be published, uh, both in terms of traditional print as well as online interviews like this. Um, you know, there was a book panel held uh, um, last year where you know people were present to actually engage, um, as as one would expect, right, within the academy. I think the 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 other half, right, the 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 other demographic in, in many ways that that you're you're pointing to here is is the larger Muslim community, um, and and while the book is obviously written, um, you know, by someone who was a scholar within the academy, uh, I didn't write it primarily for the academy itself, right? It's, it's it has a has a double audience, right? I'm also writing it for um, the communities of faith to which I see myself as a practitioner, right? The, I'm, I'm I'm looking to uh, Muslims who are attending mosques, who are who are you know pursuing their faith, struggling with faith, um, and hoping that it reaches them as well. And that is much harder to gauge, right? Because um, it's much more diffuse. Um, it's not as structured as the academy is in terms of where discourse can take place. Um, but you know there there are certain places where I've seen it take uh, seen it happen, right? There was a Muslim uh, Muslim chaplain actually Khalil. Uh, at Harvard, who who was engaging with it on one of the book forums that I that uh, emerged after the publication of the work, uh, and here's somebody right who is who's engaged with pastoral care, who is delivering sermons, who found the work worthwhile. Um, I also was able to connect with, or someone reached out to me who was on social media, um, a bit of a social media personality who found the work helpful, and for a time was you know promoting it through her own outlets. Um, but you know these are exceptional cases, things that are kind of brought to my attention. Uh, it's much harder for me to gauge, well, are people reading it, right? Um, and in some ways, because it's a book, uh, I understand that the reach of the book may take time. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of print, that there are works that the life of which may, may you know, the life of which may not emerge in its full vibrancy until many years later. Um, I mean, here we are, right? Reading almost a millennia later, uh, the works of great Muslim scholars. Uh, and so my hope is that even if this work doesn't seem to catch fire, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, in the immediate years after the publication of the work, I'm hoping that because it is, you know, it has a certain physicality, it's, it's a book, it will endure with time and, and find the place if it's worth it, right? I mean, uh, we're in an age where publication um, is exponential. Uh, we're seeing, you know, the, we're seeing uh, a degree of published literacy that is that is impressive, and the works that are that are that have something to say that possess um, enduring truths, I think, will survive. I hope my book is is part of a part of at least the beginning of a conversation. Um, and so, 
you know, while I haven't heard as much in terms of the response from the larger Muslim community, um, I have a certain hope that uh, given enough time, if the book, you know, is able to fulfill even a modicum of what I hope it would do, uh, it will find its audiences um, sometime, somewhere out there in the world. Right. Um, so I was particularly impressed with Two things. One, one, um, the responsibility that you place on, on you know your readers, who I, I know you're trying to reach as many people as possible. But you know, as as someone of of faith, uh, approaching the book, I I felt an incredible amount of responsibility and um, you know, in engaging with it to transform myself. Uh, through sort of what you're prescribing. Um, but one of the things that you bring up is our uh, ability not so much to be um, trying to return to the uh, Meccan or Medinan or any kind of classical uh, circumstance or methodology, but to take inspiration from from Malcolm and some of these other um, thinkers that you bring up, who who are definitely products of their own context, so um, that role, I guess, in reconstructing the the tradition or, or um, engaging with the tradition, can you articulate a little bit about how how you see the individual responsibility and then beyond that how that individual responsibility might translate into larger societal uh reform i guess sure sure i mean in many ways i if i had to define the nature of this theological project it's it's a theology of the imagination right in the sense that you know i'm not i wasn't composing this book necessarily as you know here is a platform in which i'm going to present my views on things um, you know, it's not a matter of speaking at my audience, it's actually trying to speak with them um, and trying to, you know, present the ideas that, I, that, I'm, that I'm critically reconceiving um, and, and couching it in such a way where it draws my reader in, draws the audience in. Um, and I feel the imagination was one way, right, of making that much more real, uh, much more direct, much more dialogical. Um, and so on one level, the book is aimed at presenting a challenge, presenting, you know, a reality that we must all confront and asking as a person of faith, as a person seeking faith, how are you going to answer, right? How are you going to engage with, with God, with the world um, around us? Uh, and I was drawing upon a variety of figures, both, both right from the August historical tradition to those more contemporary, um, just to kind of, bring home the fact that this is a very much a lived tradition, that this is very much an endeavor that is ongoing, that we are involved in, that we have a stake in. Um, and so, you know, at the end of the book, it is an invitation for others to respond. And my expectation is not that people will necessarily always be on board, but it gets them thinking, that it gets them to kind of critically reassess how they're approaching their faith, their response to the divine, um, in hopes of, of articulating for themselves and for their communities that, well, this is what I imagine instead. 
uh, it may very well diverge from what I'm proposing or what I kind of cast out there. Um, and so, you know, in that respect, there is this, this hope that each person who picks up the book will be so moved to, to take that moment of, of personal reflection. But, you know, there's also larger concerns. Um, and and the, perhaps that is not as, as direct, um, you know, because you're referring here to kind of the, the social or, or maybe even political ramifications of the work. Where, you know, where do I see, where do I hope this book, um, how do I hope this book, you know, I guess there's a more communal uh, dimension to all of this. And I think in that regard, I'm a bit more, at least in this in modern Muslim theology, a bit more um, reserved in trying to formulate, this is what I expect things to do. This is how I hope things to go on a more social level in terms of community transformation. Because this is an invitation for each individual to simply assess for themselves and for their communities what is needed. Um, the next steps, I think, um, come afterwards, after that moment of reflection. I mean, I'm working now on a book that is much more concretely aimed at what I believe to be some of the more pressing social dilemmas that we face today. Um, I, I think I was very deliberate in trying to restrain um, the social political implications um, brought by modern Muslim theology, with the exception, right, that I think there is a kind of a commitment to social justice, a commitment to um, the enacting enjoyment of righteousness, uh, something I touch upon much more heavily as the book progresses, um, but without necessarily naming the particular dilemmas, the areas that require our immediate address. If anything, the one thing that I would say the modern Muslim theology tries to do is to say, well, we need to reassess what we think our tradition actually is, right? Because the tradition is something that is so um, so elevated and so uh, revered uh, within Muslim consciousness. My, my modest goal with modern Muslim theology is to say, well, what does that actually mean? And to simply point to the fact that what it means is that we, we have a hand in maintaining that, in, in, in preserving it, in recasting it, reformulating it, um, however the reader understands that. But the idea is that you must engage in a critical manner uh, and in a very um, lived manner with how we understand tradition. I think the, the dilemmas um, that need addressing is that that comes in the second steps of this whole process of theological reflection. That's really beautiful. Um, one thing I'd like to pick up on from that answer is um, the fact that you sort of mentioned the challenges and, you know, your desire to make this a very individual invitation to, um, to reflect and to transform ourselves. Why do you think that uh, historically it's been such a challenge to... Mount, sim, mount similar efforts. Uh, I feel like a lot of um, great Muslim thinkers think of society first, think of implementing Sharia, think of, you know, um, a very much top-down approach. Why do you think there has been less uh, of, of this sort of beginning with the individual? And maybe there hasn't, but uh, it just seems to me to be uh, both a novel and essential approach, and I, I thank you for well bringing it up. So. Yeah, I think I, I think I would, I would want to kind of 
say, well, it's a matter of, of historical perspective here, right? In some sense, the, the tradition, the, the historical tradition for a long time has been doing both, right? You only need to look at the works of, of, of you know, spirituality, the works produced by the Sufis, um, that really emphasize that kind of personal reflection, that critical engagement with one's relationship with the divine, with the world in which one lives. Um, that's always there, but I think the, the works that you're referring to, right, the ones that seem to um, take the top-down approach, the ones that are addressing the nature of society um, and, and the needs therein, uh, these are works that are produced after the fact, right, that the work of personal cultivation of, of the individual call are always happening in the background, and they, and they were for a long period of time. I think what we have, historically speaking, is, is you know, the, the entrance of the colonial crisis, um, that this seems to be a defining moment um, where all of a sudden um, that that tradition of intellectual and spiritual interrogation that had long been um, in transformation, in development, in growth, is stymied because all of a sudden these external forces, European powers have come in and disrupted um, uh, the normal kind of or the, the, the regular rhythms of, of Muslim life and, and intellectual educational formation. Um, and so you know, I, I think that's where we get a bit of a, a bit of a loss, let's say, why perhaps there is a feeling that, well, today, why, why don't we have more works like those of Iqbal's? Why don't we have more works that are trying to get us to, to kind of that address both the, the personal and the social? Because um, I think we're, we're in a period of crisis or we're coming out of a period of crisis of kind of response um, that we are trying to recover from the the subjugation that colonialism brought, um, both both mentally in terms of politics as well. Uh, that, I mean, I mean, just looking at the <laughs> the state of of essentially the formation of scholars these days, right? Um, that itself, the institution of the madrasa, these are things that were hindered and hampered by um, the brain drain caught brought about by you know the introduction of Western forms of education. As most minorities in the West, we're also in a situation where. We are subjecting ourselves primarily to um, the academy, you know, higher education that is now heavily tilting towards um, kind of secular principles and beliefs, um, and you know, it's 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 happening both in minority and majority contexts. But I believe we're in a position at this point in time where we're moving beyond it, um, and so we're, we're we're having the the impulse again to say, well, what can we do constructively as we once did in the past. Um, there, there is, in my mind at least, um, a historical rupture that we're trying to overcome, or that we are overcoming. Two things uh, from from that you you said we're you know coming out of a period of crisis, and you know the crisis is evident. But one of the things that you keep coming back to in the book is that you know people's present reality always seems to them to be uh, a, a period of crisis and and how you know I, I think it's really beautiful that you talk about how you know the first Muslims responded to that and how theology was such a critical part of that um, what do you think though I mean, we can take from that. I mean, it's, there's a lot of optimism in saying this is possible. We've, you know, we've negotiated these issues before, but um, in our in our present situation and, you know, overcoming that rupture, 
what would you say to to people who want to follow in your footsteps and and you know engage with it and then also you know through the lived theology that you're uh putting forth what does that actually look like for us going forward hmm. yeah i mean yes yeah i'm thinking uh right crises have always abounded it's something that i was trying to stress um but yes i mean i think the, the particularities of our present moment are revolve around or orbit um that colonial rupture right this that moment when all of a sudden we find ourselves um responding to what western imperialism brings and with that western imperialism you know notions of racial supremacy uh notions of 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 capitalistic you know unlimited capitalistic uh enterprise all sorts of things that are deeply problematic right um for at least how we navigate life today you know it's it's hard to to think only about what was said in modern muslim theology simply because i'm i'm in the midst of writing the next work where i'm addressing a lot of these issues but my hope is right as as people work through um their own theological reflections that we're able to to kind of name in different ways uh and from our own various perspectives because you know our concerns will vary the, the sense of crisis will vary from each of us um the, the variety of challenges that are out there. But I think as we do, as we go about this process of naming, um, it will become apparent that there are particular things that we need to move towards and against, uh, that we need to agitate and militate against, um, and then to focus our efforts in that regard. I'm being a bit um, vague here, and that's intentional because I don't see it as necessarily my own prerogative to, to name that, right? That I'm just one voice in many. My hope is that others are, and, and they have been, and they will continue um, to go about this particular work. I think one of the, the tricky things about talking about constructive Muslim theology is that perhaps I've, I've, I've given um, this discourse a particular label, but it's been ongoing for some time, um, and that I'm simply joining this conversation. It just is called other things, right? And perhaps it hasn't been grouped the way that I'm envisioning it, um, but there are multiple efforts. And they deal with a host of, of, of issues that I don't necessarily see at my place to, to dictate this is what needs to happen. Um, at least not with, with modern Muslim theology, which is more of a, a broad invitation. Uh, with subsequent works that I'm trying to work on, uh, I will take up that mantle, right, of saying, well, you know, this is, this is what I believe to be our greatest cause of concern or concerns. Uh, and this is what I think needs to happen, but I'm not quite there yet, right? In terms of, um, well, at least with with the nature of this work, modern Muslim theology, I'm not quite there yet uh, in the work to say that here is the raft of issues we need to attend to. Can you talk a little bit about the um, the people that have previously engaged in in this type of work, and specifically those that. Um, have influenced and shaped um, the arguments that that you put forward in your um, the the way that you see this, and and also specifically for people who want to uh, engage in the conversation, who who are some of the the thinkers and um, traditions that you feel that we need to you know engage in and be. Uh, Sure. Very well grounded in to go forward. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in some ways, I'm just thinking of the various people that I draw upon and cite within the present work, 
modern Muslim theology and, and the work I, and and the people I'm looking to now, right, as I as I write my next piece. Um, but for me, I think the foremost interlocutor has always been the Quran, just kind of going back to that text, not text really, the, the speech of God itself, and trying to understand what the divine is trying to say, that um, each of us is able to to read the scripture with our own eyes and with our the, the, our set of experiences and try to understand, right, what is God calling us to as we face the world in which we are embedded. Um, but beyond that, there are voices in the tradition. I'm, I'm going to try to proceed historically here because you know, I feel there's a number of, of important interlocutors, but I feel like, you know, when I talk about this in the introduction, but um, Imam Ghazali and the Ihya al-Muddin was, th that was the production of, of, in some ways, a groundbreaking work. It, it kind of defied the typical genres at the time and it engaged its 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 audiences uh, in a way that hadn't been done before, right? That this attempt to revivify the religious sciences um, came about it from a very particular perspective. I mean, he talks about it as, you know, almost a science of the hereafter, right? Trying to say, well, what really matters um, is salvation. And in order to understand that as, a, as our main objective, here's how we can proceed about interpreting the various facets of our life of how of how we go about being coming more faithful of how we pursue um devotion and all sorts of things so i mean ghazali is certainly one of them uh ibn arabi uh and his his work of the imagination uh, his usage of the imagination in his kind of cosmic worldview i think was something that was also fairly instrumental uh in my own thinking um and then as we kind of move to the modern period um Two figures that I, I touch upon were both Muhammad Iqbal, who I've mentioned, as well as Malcolm X. Um, I, I still recall reading the reconstruction of religious thought within Islam uh, in my early years of exploring um, Islam as a field of study and being struck by the way in which he was talking about that our faith tradition, right? That it has striking relevance and resonance with the modern world and it has a way of you know, it, it is it provides a pathway for moving forward and he tries to articulate it. And I was, you know, I was very, very much enwrapped when I first read it. Um, and then, of course, with Malcolm X. His works, right, his his speeches, his autobiography and, and the scant writings that we're, we're still uncovering now. Um, speak spoke to me and continue to speak to me in a way that that you know, at first blush seem, well, this is, this is about matters of, of race and society. Uh, but the more and more I read them, I, I'm able to at least, from my own perspective, see the theological kind of underpinnings of it all. And I think my attempt to really try to unearth that has been instructional for me. Uh, and I continue to work with Malcolm and his legacy uh, to this day. Uh, and then there is Ali Shariati, right? The, uh, the Iranian intellectual and revolutionary. Uh, who I don't believe I use in modern Muslim theology, but you know, as as I revisit his works now, um, it's very clear that he was doing something quite similar. He was trying to make the tradition alive and accessible, and a source of 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 you know, in many ways, liberation uh, as as fuel for change and transformation uh, within his particular context. Right, so this is on the cusp of of the Iranian Islamic Revolution that was happening there. Um, but many of the ways that he's recasting stories and reimagining the tradition, to me, is um, it, it was a model uh, for how to articulate things. But then, you know, I also have a, a host of teachers and, and mentors and, and individuals that I've worked with uh, through my years. 
uh, Abdulaziz Sajidina was my first, you know, real teacher to the Islamic tradition. Um, and there was, you know, um, a particular type of critical wonderment that I found uh, studying under him. And then after that, I had the opportunity to study with Abdul Karim Sorush during my master's. Uh, and, you know, of, of my living teachers, I think Sorush um, perhaps was the most intellectually challenging. The one who really kind of um, pressed me to reconsider and rethink, you know, how do I understand religion? Um, the nature of religion, the nature of faith. Uh, but then, of course, I, I, I think of Freda Sak, uh, who also had the opportunity to study with. Um, and I remember as I was pursuing my PhD and, and trying to gain that necessary competency in the study of Islam, he asked me quite pointedly, so what are you going to do with all of this, right? So, you know, why are you doing all this? When are you going to actually address what really matters? And in my mind, I understood that kind of that series of questions um, as, you know, when will I when will I actually address my community of faith? Because the thing about a PhD is that you're being trained to speak to a very particular audience. First and foremost, your dissertation committee. But then after that, right, um, a very select audience, uh, the academy. Uh, and as those of us in the academy know, we are not trained to write for others. We're trained to write for them, right? We're, we're trained to write in particular jargon. We're trained to, uh, to think in particular ways that, that are very difficult to translate for the people that actually matter, at least who I believe actually matter. Um, and so those are at least some of, of my teachers, uh, some of my influences, some of the people that I look to. Um, there are, of course, others, uh, both Muslim and non, uh, that I could name, but um, those are the ones that uh, are the ones that perhaps crop up most often in modern Muslim theology and continue to crop up uh, as I continue to write and, and develop my work. I'm, I'm really grateful that you did mention the, the three of them. Um, and this uh, really dovetails nicely with um, the next and potentially last question, which is um, for new scholars, for, for people who are trying to negotiate um, some of these issues and, and go through the uh, ways of, you know, becoming people who can be involved in this discourse. Um, what, what was it uh, pedagogically and methodologically about your experience and training that allowed you to, I guess, pursue some of these um, questions? And, and how do you think that the conversation you started with modern Muslim theology or, or uh, engaged in uh, by contributing the work uh, can shape the methodological future, um, both for people just pursuing the academic study of religion and Islam and people who are interested in uh, actively participating in the construction of Islamic tradition. No, that's a very good question, um, because I think there is a growing desire, right, on the part of, 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 many, of many individuals, of 
engaging with constructive work. But the question is, how does one do that, especially when the academy itself is not necessarily facilitating that process? And I think about my own journey. I've alluded to it, right? The fact that modern Muslim theology doesn't come out until later in my career. It's not, it, is, it is not the work of my dissertation. It is not, um, it is not something I was necessarily prepared to do via my training. Uh, though, you know, in some ways, there's a bit of a tension here, right? Because I'm working to create space for constructive Muslim theology that it doesn't necessarily need to be something that one does after one has, in a sense, um, proven their, their credentials within the traditional study of Islam. And yet, um, I also don't think it's possible to do it well unless you have a firm grasp of what has come before you, um, that one needs to have um, a certain degree of, of competency, if not mastery, of particular fields, um, that one should be familiar with what the scholars of the past have done. Um, and so, in some ways, if for those who are interested in, in pursuing this now, uh, the academy, by default, the way it's structured when it comes to Islamic studies, will hone you, will prepare you to engage with the historical tradition, the intellectual traditions, um, that have come before us. And that is a great boon. And that is something that we should not necessarily shy away from, but definitely throw ourselves into, right? Master the languages, um, become familiar with the texts and the figures, uh, but also be able to critically analyze uh, its strengths and its weaknesses, its, its, its key transformation points and its currents. Um, so that's certainly there. I think the harder part is, how does one acquire... Um, you know, the skill sets necessary to actually engage in constructive thought. Uh, and in some ways, my own path, my own formation in that respect was a bit haphazard uh, and self-constructed. Um, and so to that end, uh, my advice would be, if people are trying to pursue constructive theology within the academy, the key is to find the right mentors, the right, you know, um, individuals to train with, to study with people who will be able to give you both um, that competency in traditional, in the traditional conventional, let's say, pursuit of the study of Islam, uh, but also push you to think in new ways, to expose you to thinkers that perhaps outside the fold. I think, you know, I've, I've spent some time here talking about, you know, Muslim influences and works and sources, uh, but I read just as widely beyond the Islamic tradition uh, and both, both within, you know, the fields of philosophy and Christian theology. And I feel that those two areas were just as informative for me, um, helpful for me in trying to figure out how to go about um, this particular work. And so finding a series of mentors, interlocutors who are willing to um, not only do the conventional study of Islam stuff that one needs, uh, but to also explore fields that perhaps seem distant even, right, or at least tangent, uh, is definitely worthwhile. Uh, we have much to learn from a much more kind of cross interdisciplinary approach to things, uh, and that if we put it, if we subject ourselves in, in academic spaces that are perhaps unfamiliar, we will gain insights that perhaps were that perhaps we would not encounter otherwise. Uh, so in that sense, it's a matter of of, of both thinking broadly, but also um, finding finding individuals, scholars, mentors. Who are going to help open doors for us, uh, both in terms of concepts and theories, but also literally to kind of introduce us to to other people out there, other other sets of scholars uh, and thinkers that 
um, could radically transform how we go about thinking about our own faith. Thank you. That's a wonderful note to end this great conversation on. And I just want to thank you, Martin, for being one of those people for me and for opening so many doors and, and challenging me through the, through the book. And I, I, I really hope that um, there's uh, future work that can expand on these ideas and I hope a really vibrant uh, discourse can develop around them. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your contribution and um, we'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Alex. It was a pleasure to talk about these matters and uh, hopefully I've done justice to the great set of questions you posed. <laughs>